0: podcast. What is up, college lacrosse fans? This is the 165th episode of the Lax Factor Lacrosse podcast. I was on an 11-day vacation, and I didn't end up doing any podcasts while I was down there. So no, I was not sick. I thank everyone who reached out to me. A lot more people than I ever thought reached out to me to make sure I was okay. I was fine with the family in Florida, but I'm back. And now we get to talk about the finals the NCAA lacrosse finals, Virginia and Maryland played a crazy game. We've got crazy news coming out of Syracuse with John Desco stepping down and Gary Gate being named the head coach. And apparently we're going to have answers as to who his coaching staff is going to end up being how that'll fill out here in the coming days. Matt Gaudet got his fingertip bit off. That was pretty crazy. So all sorts of stuff to talk about before I get into it. As always, be sure to like subscribe, hit the notification bell, share the crap out of this podcast with your friends. If you're an audio listener, go to Anchor.fm forward slash Lax Factor or anywhere you get podcasts, Spotify, Apple, and all the other places. And if you're an audio listener and you'd like to see some video, go to YouTube.com forward slash Lax Factor, and you can watch the exact same podcast you always listen to on YouTube. So that's it. Let's dive into this here. I'm late, so there's no news here. You guys already know the outcome of this game. Virginia wins by a goal in very exciting fashion. Came right down to a last second save by Alex Road. So what I want to talk about more is the performances that kind of put UVA at the top of the heap here and that allowed them to repeat for the first time in program history. So right off the bat, number one in terms of he's the MVP of the entire tournament and he wears the number one, Colin Schellenberger, the red shirt freshman, literally unstoppable. Four goals off seven shots, two helpers no turnovers in this game here. It doesn't get much more efficient than that. Maryland had no answer for the kid. I think he scored three of his four goals unassisted over a stretch where Virginia started to pull away and gave themselves a little bit of breathing room. Uh, Just played played incredible through this entire tournament in the end though. First round in a 13-11 win over Bryant, two goals, three assists off just three shots quarterfinals round in a 14-3 drubbing of Georgetown, six goals and a helper off 10 shots, semifinals and a one-goal win over rival Carolina the third time these two teams met, two goals and four assists off just four shots, and then in the finals, as we said, in a one-goal win over Maryland, four and two off seven shots. All in all, 14 goals, 10 assists off 24 shots with just five turnovers over those four tournament games for UVA easily good enough to get him the most outstanding player, the MVP, whatever the hell you want to call it. And that's exactly what he got. Boom. Colin, Connor Schellenberger, the red shirt freshman, former top recruit. And uh, and it's funny that he read, it's not funny, I guess. He redshirted the COVID year. And I, I had heard at one point he said, oh man, I wish I would have just known that was going to happen. And he could have been progressed even a little bit further, but it was a parrot right off the beginning, UVA had a little bit too much talent in terms of their top six, top eight offensive guys. They didn't know how to kind of get everybody to gel. They shuffled the lineup all over. At one point, Cormier was starting attack at another point. And Laviano was running mid and Schellenberger was on attack. And it it was all over the place. Schellenberger saw time at both midfield and attack. But by the end of this season, this offense was clicking. They proved that even with getting drubbed by Syracuse twice by beating UNC and then just rolling through this NCAA tournament exactly as a lot of people expected them to. They were playing their best lacrosse coming into this tournament, squeaked past Bryant, but then after beating Georgetown's ass, you kind of had a feeling, holy shit, this, this Virginia team is playing really good lacrosse right now, and uh, they figured out that kind of, here's our best six offensive guys, we're going to run these guys into the ground, and that chemistry built and built over the season. So congrats to Schellenberger, though, on the MVP. No, number two here, Matt Moore. Moore has struggled all year with the shooting percentage, and in UVA's losses, he more often than not shot the ball like shit. Not so in the finals. I've said all year that it was th- that for for Virginia to do well and for Virginia to continue to win down the stretch, Matt Moore had to shoot the ball better. He had to improve his shooting percentage. Moore goes for four goals and two assists, which matched Shelley's. Output. And uh, like Connor, he was insanely efficient just taking seven shots. That proved pivotal as UVA needed every ounce of productivity and efficiency out of Moore, and they ended up getting it. That was important. Moore's 57% shooting percentage in this game was a huge improvement over his season average of 23%. He shot the ball 23%, a volume dodger. The the beauty in that is that the reason his shooting percentage is so low is the dude's getting shots off in scenarios that most guys wouldn't. He is a very aggressive dodger. Uh, I always used to say that... um, Krauss for Virginia was one of the most savage dodgers I'd ever seen in just terms of being aggressive and being willing to just dodge into trouble, fight through it with strength, speed, determination, and get shots off. And that's what kind, that's kind of a page that, that Moore has taken out of his former uh, teammates' playbook here. So that was huge. Uh, Moore playing well, you know, improving his shooting percentage in this game uh, from twenty three percent through the season and shooting the ball at fifty seven percent. Obviously, key. Number three here, Petey fucking LaSala. The kid tore it up through this tournament. He played well. He goes 21 of 37 versus Maryland in the finals here, plus a goal and an assist scoring. I think it was UVA's first goal and assisting their second goal. Maybe it flipped. I can't remember now. Uh, But looking back on this NCAA tournament at large overall, struggled versus Bryant. Five of 16 versus Bryant, he was. Uh, uh, UVA ended up having to bring reinforcements into that one. Uh, and then let's see here, but he did score a goal against Bryant, so that always kind of equalizes it. When you struggle, if you can put up a point or two, that kind of equalizes those that that those losses for you a little bit. Versus Georgetown, 15-19 dominated, and he put up another goal. Versus UNC in the semis, 15-27 to and no points, so he didn't dominate the, the Tar Heels like he did the first two meetings against them, but he only had a single turnover in that game, meaning he the, he won the draws he won, and UVA held possession there, so that was huge. And up to that point, that was only his second turnover of the tournament. Against the Terps, 21-37 to 37, with that goal and a dish. The downside against the Terps and the reason why his winning at the dot didn't translate into a, a larger margin in terms of score was he ended up turning the ball over four times in this game. So that pretty much equalizes the draws. He, he, he pretty much went 50% in this one, but he had the goal and an assist early in this game. That's That's a huge, huge piece of this. If you're going to go 50% at the draws after your turnovers overall uh but you're going to put up a goal and an assist giddy up baby most most coaches are going to take that overall his tournament was tight 56 of 99 56.5% of the draws he won with three goals and assist and just uh, six turnovers over those four games, which is incredible for a face-off guy. That's enough to earn the moniker of Petey fucking LaSala, and I'm still just waiting to see the paperwork from his pops uh, on the official name change. We got to change the boy's middle name. I don't care if he's a junior or a third or second or fourth or Esquire, whatever it is, we got to change this kid's middle name because he deserves it. Number four, the UVA defense. Cade Sawstead did an outstanding job of uh, you know staying on to and winner, Jared Bernhardt's hands. And the overall length, the overall talent of UVA's defense here show they shine through this entire game, both on close defense, both at the defensive midfield, both short and long pole. Uh they the defensively they just played incredible through this entire game. Bernhardt, he went for two goals and two helpers over the first half. So it kind of looked like he was gonna handle his business. Maybe he ends up four and two, five and two, five and three. That that would be the norm for Bernhardt. But in the second half. Virginia adjusted. that They didn't necessarily send a lot more help, but they showed, as I've talked about in the previous episode, they showed the help a lot more effectively, which would ca- cause Bernhardt to have to turn around, run away from the double that he perceived was going to come, uh, or he would just kind of you know turn around, bail, move the ball. It, it was It was an incredible job by the UVA defense to try to just keep him bottled up, keep him busy, not give him clean looks. And the they win the game in the end. Uh, You know, they held the Tewarton winner to just two goals and three assists over the course of the game. He only had one assist in the second half, no goals. So UVA's defense did their job. Both teams pretty much left their guys on an island. Like the the whole Virginia defensive philosophy is play fast, loose, and win the one-on-one matchups. And that's what they did. Both teams were pretty much on the island. They let their defenders play against their guy. They didn't necessarily send help. They would both just kind of show the help as being there it would only come in really grave situations. And in the end, UVA's offensive weapons won their matchups and 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 on on uh, against the Maryland defense. And more often than not, the Virginia defense won their matchups. I mean granted the game ends up being 17-16. It ends up being a one-goal game in a total shootout. So neither team held the other team back all that much. Uh, But in the end, Virginia's defense did just a little bit better. In the end, it proved that Schellenberger, Moore, and company were a little bit better offensively than Bernhardt, Wisnowskis, and company. The the sums didn't equal out. Virginia was a little bit better, a little bit heavier. They win this game. But in in the end, defensively, Virginia, all across the board, short stick D-mids, Connors at LSM, Sawstead, Kologi, all those guys, they played incredible defense, and they proved they were the better the better team. Uh, I, I dare say you're playing against a Tuarten winner here. He's got weapons all around him, just like UVA had weapons all over all over the field for them, and you held that Tearten winner to two goals, three assists, which is a point or two off of his average. And that you know you win a one goal game, that's part of the key here. Uh, but they couldn't have done that without their keeper, Alex Rode, the king of winning out over adversity. Road came up big when it mattered most. He made the game saving save in the final seconds of the game and uh, off a totally botched, but apparently not totally botched face off. Usually, when you're facing off with 11 seconds left, the, the one thing you don't do is get beat. Don't let him pinch, pop, and push forward up the field. They had Bernhardt up on the wing on this faceoff to try to get their offensive weapon closer to the ball in the event that they won. Maybe he could pick up a cheap ground ball, and Bernhardt is a savage off broken play situations where he just picks the ball up and goes, and that didn't end up happening. UVA per road. A lot of people are like, what was UVA thinking letting Wehrman go right down the alley? Right down the heart of the defense to to take that final shot, and uh, per road, it made it sound like that was uVA strategy that if he did pinch pop and win it forward, that they were going to take the wings away and they were going to stay home on the attackman don 't let Wisnowskis Fire one, you know, lefty off that corner, just like they, you know, Virginia's deadly. When um, Cormier is doing the same thing, and so letting Weirman once he won that faceoff, pinched pop. Apparently, that was a strategy. Let him go down the alley. Let Road have a straight-on one-on-one save. And luckily, the faceoff guy didn't finish. Hit Road in the body, and I love that too. That that Road says, "I, I took it in the body." Luckily, he hit me in the body. I love the the just the reality, you know, that this kid being this grounded in reality and understanding that, listen, if he, there was, if he didn't put that on his body, there was very little chance that road was going to be able to react quick enough to make that save unless he put it in a stick or something like that. But that's part of being a goalie, being in the right spot at the right time, being in position, holding your ground, making sure that your body is on that stick. And that was what it, that's what he did. He makes that game winning save a little bit of a scrum, UVA eats a couple of shots, not not shots, but poor shot attempts, and the ball gets huffed down the field, and UVA wins this game. But the goalie battle here, this was an interesting piece of this. Coming down to the wire just before that last shot, both goalies were almost identical from a stat perspective. With just 11 seconds to play, McNaney had made 11 11 saves off 17 goals against with 28 shots faced. Rode, before that final shot, 11 saves versus 16 goals against versus 20 Seven shots. So that final shot equal, equalized them in terms of uh, shots faced on Cage. And then road gets one more save than his counterpart. Had he given up that goal in regulation, the goalie stats would have been exactly the same, except he didn't give up that goal. He made that save. He ends up with one more save than his buddy, his buddy or his counterpart, his adversary in McNaney. McNaney ends up giving one more goal in this game than the opposing goalie. And uh, Maryland loses this game. So at the end of the day, it comes down to Schellenberger and more, and UVA's uh, supporting cast being better than Bernhardt, Wisnowskis, and Maryland's crew. Uh, UVA they had better chemistry. Their stars played their best game on the biggest stage, and they simply had more of that star power to go around. Uh, even even the guys that just chipped in, like Doc Aiken, just going one on one, but he went one on one on just a cup one and one on just a couple of shots. So I mean it. it it, it, was, it couldn't have been a better finals. I think that it was, the, it was tied for uh, uh, the highest scoring finals of all time with two other games. I think Syracuse and Hopkins had a 17-16 game in the late eighties. And I think that Maryland did this against Navy or something like that also. So, I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better game because despite the high scoring, there was a ton of great defense, a ton of great defensive plays, especially with UVA getting the ball up in transition from the defensive end. I think we had a long pole goal or two. I think we had a long pole feeding another one. I mean, it was, it was just crazy. It had everything that you want, hits, action, scoring, Uh, Huge save at the end of the game. Battle at the faceoff dot that mattered. Uh, Adjustments being made by Maryland to get back in this game. Every time UVA would pull away, couldn't have been better. Couldn't have been better. And and because it's not news, that's all I'm going to say about it. We're going to end it there. I may come back here and revisit the semis and the finals, and maybe do like a recap of the whole season. Uh, I'll probably give out some awards and stuff like that. But for now, we need to get into some of the other news. We had some wild news. I was walking around Magic Kingdom, right around the area of Pirates of the Caribbean, when I heard that John De- I, my phone just started blowing up in my pocket. I got Mike Rustein and my buddy uh, Corey Bellin and all sorts of other people chirping me uh, via private messages, Facebook Messenger, via text, telling me, holy shit, Did you hear the news? Desco stepped down, and the rumors are, and this was before it was official, so it was started out as people hitting me up saying, hey, rumor is Desco is stepping down today. Rumor is that Gary Gate is going to be named the new head coach. Rumor is that the coaching staff looks like it's going to be made up of March, who I knew was staying from the beginning, Uh, and maybe a Casey Powell. Uh, We were hearing uh, 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 Petro Dave Petromala might be joining the team as the, the defensive assistant, and then that led to crazy speculation that the Petromala boys might jump ship from UNC and head to Syracuse. In the end, I don't know about the staff changes and by the sounds of it I dare say that Petro is not really going to end up being the defensive assistant as Gate kind of chuckled at that one a little bit but Gate named the head coach of Syracuse here and and what he's promised is that he's going to get Syracuse back to the point where they can pack 20,000 people into the dome like they did when I was a kid when I fell in love with with Syracuse lacrosse overall that'll be huge you know Syracuse has only had he's only their fifth head coach in over a hundred years, which is absolutely freaking bonkers, I think it's like a hundred and five years of college lacrosse with just four head coaches leading into this coaching change, making Gate the fifth head coach in Syracuse, Syracuse lacrosse history. Uh, so, I, in terms of do I think he was the best guy for it? I did. I I wasn't sure. I was one that didn't think this was going to happen. I had heard the rumors for years, 10 years, people have been talking about how Gary Gate is just camping at Syracuse, waiting for Desco to retire so he could be named the head coach. So people have been saying this for years, that, Co- that Gate was the coach in waiting, but he was killing it at the girls game. I, I, I honestly didn't figure he was going to just bolt from the girls game after all the success he's had there at Maryland and at Syracuse and then decide, up. Oh, now it's my time to coach guys lacrosse, but that's in the end that's exactly what it what he did, and I do think that it's the right hire. I think that he'll probably bring in some Syracuse alums to fill in the rest of those coaching positions here. I know uh, uh, there's some guys available here. Uh, now especially as well so it'll be interesting to see but he did promise and he did say in his press conference that he was going to try to get that coaching though the 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 offensive coordinator is still going to be marched by the sounds of it so the roles they end up having to fill are like you know team manager type deal uh, defensive coordinator so at least two coaching positions that have to be uh, filled, but I think there might even be three in the end uh, between defensive coordinator, and I think there might be two other assistant levels that he'll uh, end up filling. So either way, it's crazy. Gate is now the new head coach. From a recruit standpoint, it looks like all the recruits are good to go. Gate said that Desco is fully willing. He's asked Desco and Desco is fully willing to stay on in a capacity of just being a helper of the program. You know, Desco is going to be a permanent fixture in the box up there with Simmons watching games, but Gate made it sound like they're going to keep Desco around in terms of, you know, advisement in terms of just, you know, a lot of these kids that they're trying to come in, they want to make sure these kids stay. So it's not just, Hey, old coach is out, new coaches in, and it's a total changing of the guard, this is going to hopefully and should be as smooth of a transition as you will ever see in terms of a coaching change, especially because um, Desco was one of Gate's assistant coaches when Gate played. You figure Desco won, what was it, um, four national championships as an assistant coach at Syracuse, uh, and then five, four or five as himself, or maybe he won five as an assistant and four himself. I can't remember, but Desco's been in this program for, what, 30 years? I think, or something like that. It's something crazy. So to have a new, your new coach have a relationship with the outgoing coach and to have that relationship be solid, you couldn't ask for a better situation in terms of how this changing of the guard is going down. So I'm excited about it. I'm excited about what it means. I have been a supporter of Desco's forever. I definitely was getting to the point where I was starting to get a little restless. I might've chirped a little bit here and I'm feeling bad now in hindsight, that I chirped him a little bit this season, and I may have even said at one point, maybe, I said maybe, the game is starting to pass these guys by a little bit in terms of we have an aged coaching staff, but now seeing a guy that that stepped down and he didn't want to. You could tell in that press conference he wasn't ready to do this. This was probably, to a degree, not forced on him, I wouldn't say, because I don't think they took that angle, but I think it was one of those things where the way this season played out between the expectations being so high, and then having them not be met. You end up having the COVID crap at the beginning of the year with guys facing suspension. You end up having the Scanlon thing play into it as well towards the end of the season. I feel like it was one of those deals where he's just like, you know, I don't know if it was an F this, I don't want to deal with the stress of this crap anymore, or if it was legitimately like, all right, we, we kind of screwed the pooch this year, and it's time to get some new blood in here. But either way, the th- I thank the crap out of Desco for everything he's done for this program as an assistant coach leading up to him you know, hand, uh, hand, uh, holding the reins over the last 20 years or whatever the hell it's been. And I'm excited at the hire of gate. I'm excited that the transition is going to be smooth, all that good stuff. Moving on. Moving on to another weird thing, Matt Gaudet got his finger eaten. Like that was the as soon as I heard the gate news and I was watching that, somebody else hit me up and said, "Yo, did you see the Gaudet crap?" And I hop on lacrosse Twitter, I find a video that shows his middle finger um, just chomped off at the tip. Uh, Then we we later see sideline swap. Someone jokingly put up a fingertip on sideline swap and was selling it for nine hundred ninety nine bucks as Austin Stotts. So I don't know any of the details. Of what happened. I just know the rumor is Austin Stotts bit Gaudet's finger off, which is fucking crazy when you really think about it. And, uh, you just don't want to fight. Apparently Austin Stotts, because he's going to f- play, he's going to fight to win if that's the case here. So I'm not a, a Gaudet fan. I think that, uh, that if Gaudet wasn't such a douchebag last year, he probably doesn't have this kind of shit happening to him now. I don't think Gaudet is, I think he's good for the league in the sense that, there's no such thing as bad publicity to a degree. You heard a bunch of people saying, oh, this isn't what the sport needs. It's like, eh, publicity is publicity. And you bite somebody's finger off in a fight. Like most people thought this happened in the game, in a game or something like that. Most initially didn't realize this was something that happened at the, I believe, the hotel. I presume it's the hotel bar or something like that. So what leads to this happening? I have no idea. Both guys are suspended indefinitely though. Um, And if you're saying that something's not good for the league, I would say Gaudet more than anything isn't good for the league, because as long as he's here, he's going to elicit this type of hatred from other guys, and he's going to continue to get headhunted. His health is going to be on the line because of it, and they've proven, as you've seen with the Michael Sowers hit, that they're not necessarily willing to do the right thing. Now, I will be the first to say, I do not think that he purposely head hit Sowers, you can almost kind of see it was going to be a cross check or it should have been a cross check. And that's one of the big problems in the PLL. Cross checks are pretty much legal at this point. So he was coming into cross check Sowers, which should have been a penalty in itself. But as Sowers is going down, it does in fact look like he's not looking at Sowers and he's watching the release of the ball and his you know stick connects with Sowers head. Uh, but it doesn't matter. It's just like in the NFL. If you accidentally hit someone in the head, You get suspended and you get treated as if you did it on purpose, which is how it should be because you have to have guys being extra careful and they are not in the PLL. So while I do like that the PLL is far more physical, college lacrosse is pretty much a no-contact sport outside of getting slashed these days. Uh, I I like that the PLL has been more physical and has allowed guys to hit each other, but I don't like that we've seen a lot of these cross-checks and some really... It, it's not necessarily that all of the hits were malicious, but they look malicious in the way they go down. So I think the PLL needs to do a better job of policing that. But, you know, Gaudet losing a fingertip, that's cool. You know, I think that's cool news. And we'll see what, that, what, what transpires. And we'll see more as the full story comes out. I, I've been out of, I only just got home Thursday, uh, Thursday afternoon here. So I'm totally out of the mix. I'm not caught up with everything that's happened. I've kind of flowed through this thing the best I could. So I'm coming back tomorrow to do a PLL uh, recap. I'm going to recap the PLL's first weekend and I'm going to recap Saturday's action from the PLL. I'm going to do that on Sunday and then maybe we'll get another one out Monday or Tuesday recapping Sunday's PLL games. But I'm back. Uh, Thank you all for reaching out to make sure that I wasn't dead. Uh, Literally like 10 or 15 people. I know that's not a lot you know, for uh, overall, but for some just schlub like me to have 10, plus people reach out to make sure I was okay because I disappeared from the internet for 11 days. That, that it meant a lot. I was smiling every time, and I replied to everybody. So if you reached out, I pretty much replied back to you. Uh, sometimes people put fake emails in the, the contact form, though, and it, it doesn't always reach you, but it was appreciated. It did not go unnoticed that you noticed that I was gone. So that is it. I'll be back tomorrow with PLL crap, and we'll talk about some other stuff. Uh, as always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, go to laxfactor.com. You can get yourself some swag. I actually have two of these shirts that I'm gonna put up for sale. Uh, both of them XLs, a green one and a white one. Uh, sadly, they run a little small, so this is a double XL to fit my fat body. But uh, you know, I have two of these that I'm gonna actually put up for sale as well, so I'll show those at the, uh, probably in the next show, and uh, we'll see who the first two to buy them are. Did I say that right? By them? I don't know. But that's it. I'm out. I'll be back tomorrow. Come back and watch it. And uh, that's all. Hoost is out.